We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Good morning. We're going to turn back to the book of Jude, which is where we were on our last uh, meeting. And what we'll do is review some of the things we spoke about last time and then... Excuse me. And then we'll move ahead and, and talk about some other things that are here. The first thing that we notice when we begin to read in Jude, the first word there is Jude. So we know who the author of this letter is right from the first word. But then we notice the way that he identifies himself. And he uses two ways of doing that. He refers to himself first as a bondservant. Now, bondservant means that he has a connection to someone. And here he tells us who the someone is to whom he is connected. And that makes all the difference. He says he is a bondservant of Jesus Christ. So right there, we can understand that what this Jude has to say is worthy of our time and our attention. And Jews' audience, original audience, they could well understand that in as much as they could understand and know that this Jude was a bond servant of Jesus, that they were being presented with information by somebody who should be listened to that the words that he has to say ought to be heard. They should pay attention. You know, I have often said that many times we hear so many voices, so many people saying so many things, and a lot of that is not really worth the time it takes to hear it or to listen to it. It's good when we can screen out a lot of that. May I just use the word garbage? But... That is far too mild a term for so much of what is being pumped into our uh, milieu, if I can use that term. So Jude says he's a bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's a special connection, special relationship. It also means that Jude is not a captain of his own ship. He's not the master of his own fate. He is not an independent, I can do it 
kind of a guy who stands alone, not needing any outside assistance. He's not that kind of man. He's a bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. That word bond servant, other uh, of the writers use the same term. Paul used it many times, talking about being a bond servant, a bond servant, they, that special relationship. And to the Lord Jesus Christ. But then he also says here, Jude, that he is a brother of James. And we take this to be the James who was, as we say, the brother or half-brother of the Lord Jesus. And that one of the things that this does, this particular identification, is it makes clear who this particular Jude is. He wasn't the only Jude. There were the Judes. I'm not the only James. <laughs> and so if somebody said, well, James this or James that, it might be helpful to know, well, which James are you referring to? So Jude, by saying who he is related to in the physical realm, lets it be known to the audience who he is. And by speaking about his bond servanthood, let us know what his connection was in the spiritual realm. And so we know from both the spiritual side and from the physical side who this particular Jude is. And so he talks about that. Now he has the terms of greeting that he uses. And these are interesting terms. He says here, no, I'm actually I'm skipping. Before he gets to the terms of greeting, he identifies who his primary audience is. And he does that by three expressions. I talked about the trials that we see in the book of Jude, and this is one of those. He says, to those who are called, sanctified by God, the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. And so we have these three terms. They are called, they are sanctified, and they are preserved. Called, sanctified, and preserved. And then he says there, following that he goes into his greeting. God has made a provision so that salvation can be the possession of people like us called whom the Lord calls are called people sanctified set apart, not just in a generic sense, but in a specific sense, set apart, set apart from and set apart to, from darkness, from being separated from God, to be longing to him, being transformed 
laid it or transferred it out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, the Lord Jesus, so called, sanctified, and preserved. We have heard the expression about the, what we call the perseverance of the saints. We can think about that in this context. Call, sanctified, preserved. Because the scripture tells us clearly that inasmuch as he has provided new life, and these people are now his own, that he will see to their journey all the way through this life into eternal life with him. So we know what the end result will be for all who have come to a true faith in the Lord Jesus. End result in the sense that ultimately to be with Christ forever. But we don't know what the details will be between now and then. And this is what brings Jews' uh, message to the fore, that between now and then, there is something to be concerned about. And so then in verse number two, he says, mercy, peace, and love. These are familiar this is a kind of a familiar greeting, or a, a, a common greeting, as it were. I looked through the epistles, most of them, and I saw many of them which will say mercy or grace. will say two of them, but I, I noticed several of them where, where the Apostle Paul uses these three terms, all three of them, mercy, without mercy, there is no hope. Without peace, there is no rest. And without love, there is no worth. And so he says to them, mercy, peace, and love. Now, one of the things that I noticed when I was looking at these expressions used by others, I didn't come across anyone where the next few words were a part of it. So notice what he says here. After he gives these three words of greeting, he says, be multiplied to you. That it might be yours abundantly. Now that's, ex that's a wonderful expression. He says not just that you might have it, but that you might have it abundantly. And that's, that's very good. So he now then, with this kind of greeting and introduction, he's laying the ground for what is coming after. And he says here, Beloved. Beloved. He is now identifying himself as one of those ones, the call, the sanctified, the preserved, that I am one with you in that. And he says, I was very diligent to write to you. He had in mind what he wanted to write about. 
what did he want to write about? Well, he said, beloved. Then he said, our common salvation. Full identification with him. He said, we belong to the same Lord and Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ. So he said, I wanted to write to you. Because we have a common salvation, and what a wonderful thing it would be to write about that. And what I said is before, that was an honorable goal that he had, a desire, honorable. But that's not what he writes about here. That's not what he writes about. It says here, I found it necessary to write to you. And so he said, I found it necessary. What is he saying? What's going on with Jude? He said he had a desire. He had a goal. He wanted to write to them about the common salvation. What's wrong with that? Well, the answer is there's nothing wrong with it. It's just that for now, for this time, for this writing, there's a higher priority. So who set the priority? We try to prioritize sometimes the things we want to do. And we put some things higher than others. And of course, I know all of us, we put our Bible study and all the things related to God and all that, we put it all the way to the top and almost have no room for the rest, right? <laughs> but <clears throat> priorities are important. And so for Jude, he is operating according to not his own ideas, although they may be godly. He's a godly man. But he is operating according to what we read in, first, in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21, where it says, For prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And so this is what I'm suggesting here uh, is that the reason Jude didn't write what he had in his heart and mind to write is because the Holy Spirit moved him to write something different. And the Holy Spirit knew what the priority should be. And so he wrote. He said, this is what I need to write. Good catch. <laughs> Very well. So then, what does he have to write to them? To exhort you. To write to you, in verse number three, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. Now, the words contend earnestly makes it clear that there is a struggle involved. That there's work, there's effort. There's, some people use the word intentionality. 
that is required. You have to be intentional. And then he said this to them, I want you to contend for the faith. You can think about in the Roman world and the whole idea of, of being a combatant, being in an arena, or you're defending your ground, you're standing on it, and you say, hey, I'm here, and I'm, I'm planted, and I'm not walking off. I'm going to contend for this. That's what Jude is saying, contend, earnestly. Do it seriously. Don't just do it as a facade. Or as a, shall I say, pretense. <laughs> but to be real about it. That's what he's saying that he needs them to do. And so the word earnestly just adds an intensive force to it. But he said, I need you to do this. Regarding the faith, the faith. Now, what about this faith? What is he talking about? He's talking about the body of truth which God caused to be delivered through his chosen servants, that body of truth. In our context, we say it's just the Bible, the doctrine, all the true things that we understand the Bible to teach. That's the faith. And he says this is a treasure that is worthy of contending for earnestly. Contend for this. Be a combatant about it. Why? See, this is an urgent call. These are people who are called and who are sanctified and who are preserved to whom he's speaking. But what does he say? He speaks about certain men. Now, that gets our attention. Certain men. What about these certain men? He said they are in among you. They have crept in unnoticed. But what kind of men are they? We see a triad to express what kind of men these are about whom Jude is speaking. He says there are ungodly men. These are ungodly men. These are men who turn the grace of God into lewdness. These are men who deny the Lord, the only Lord, and our Lord Jesus Christ. These men, these certain men, they crept in among you. And they are bad. And they must not have full opportunity to carry on. You must diligently contend for the faith and what they are presenting in their persuasive ways is not the faith. But now, you know, in order for them to be able to contend, they have to understand and know what the faith is. 
So this is the thing we come back to all the time. Because we hear so much, and a lot of things we hear are not what they made out to be. A lot of times we hear people give conclusions about things, or they'll make hyperbolic statements which can't poss- they can't possibly know to be true because they don't, and they don't present you with any evidence at all to say, okay, here's, the, here, here's the data, here's the evidence, look at it, evaluate it, and see what conclusion you come to. They don't do that. They give you their conclusion, what they want you to understand, what they want you to believe, and off many people go thinking that they know something, but they've been propagandized. That's what these people are doing. And so these certain uncertain men, now there is an end result for them. That word preserved is an interesting one as I use it in the context of those who are both the called and the sanctified. But preserved is also a word that is used in reference to those who are preserved to a different end. And that end is judgment, domination, eternal separation from God. Now, our brother last week he talked about how we have in Second Peter, especially in chapter 2, much material that parallels or complements what we have here. And I'm going to read what Second Peter says in a, a portion of what he says uh, connected to what we have here. But let me just go back here and uh, first before I go there. So Jude says, For certain men are crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of God into lewdness and denied the Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. In Second Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, it says this, But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the truth, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And then it says, by covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. And for a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. I, I said a judgment is sure. God will see to it. So these are the kinds of men. So then now, Jew, the next thing that, that he does is he says, well, I want to remind you. So he's telling them, I understand who you are. You are called, sanctified, and preserved, just as I am. And there are certain ones who have crept in among you unnoticed. Secretly, they come in. And they have brought damnable heresies with them to promote. And you need to contend earnestly for the faith. Now he says, I want to remind you. Here, then, we see another of those uh, trials, I call them. Three things that he notices. He, He points out here. And this is interesting, too, and we're going to look at 
what Peter does with, with that idea as well. But notice what it says here. There are three examples or three um, mentions that is given out of, shall we say, things they know. He said, these are things you know, three of them. So he talks about Egypt and those people who got delivered out of Egypt from that bondage that they were in. And it talks about angels who were once in the good high place, their proper domain. And then he talks about people of Sodom and Gomorrah and surrounding cities who participated in the same things. He calls out these three groups. And he says, notice what he says there. See, so we remember that when the people were in Egypt and when under Moses' leadership they were let out, who was let out of the Egyptian bondage, or out of Egypt? Who was let out? Who left? Well, we know who left, but I'm thinking of a certain word. Brother, I'm looking at you with the, that yellow jacket on. Tell me about that multitude. What kind of multitude was it who left Egypt? It was a mixed multitude. It was a mixed multitude. And that's what the scripture told us. A mixed multitude went up with them also. And that's in Exodus 12, verse 38. Numbers 11, 4 says, Now the mixed multitude who were among them yielded to crave, intense craving. So the mixed multitude presented problems in the journey towards the promised land. But this verse here, and Jude tells us this. He says, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterward, destroyed those who did not believe. And so there was among those who believed, those who didn't, and their results, their ends were different. Those who believed had a good outcome. But those who did not believe were destroyed. That's a sad thing, that it would be destroyed. Now Jude moves on to his second one here. He talks about angels. Now it says here that angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode didn't keep their proper domain. So where, what was their proper domain? Well, it was the domain. See, these, remember, these angels, these were created beings. God created them. And so he himself decided what was their proper place. And they themselves decided to leave that proper domain. Angels. Wow, that's awesome to think of what awesome to think that somebody can actually even a created angel can think that they can just say well my creator 
I, I don't need to pay attention to what he said. I'll just do my own thing. Wow, that's, that's pretty bold. But apparently that's what these angels did. But it says here he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for judgment of the great day. So they had some ability to make some choice, to choose. But the ability to choose comes with consequences. It comes with accountability. So if one has the privilege to choose and chooses wrongly, there are consequences to that. Or if one chooses rightly, there are consequences to that as well. Blessing and cursing. And then Jew goes on to Sodom and Gomorrah. And then he talks about the cities surrounded as well. But they, he said, given themselves over to sexual immorality. They've gone after strange flesh. They have decided that the order that God created and the rules of living that God ordained wasn't for them. They said, I'm not living that way. I'm living a different way. Defiance, arrogance. This is contemporary, you know that. Many of our contemporaries have exactly the same attitude and they're doing exactly the same things. And without repentance and coming to Christ, they have the same end result. So we can say that until there is no more opportunity. Some people will listen and say, hmm, I better think about that again. And I better see what I might need to do. I remember talking to a man one time who was in a lifestyle like that. We had quite a lengthy discussion. And he came around to say, you know, I know that I'm wrong. He said, I know that God is not pleased with what I'm doing. I was thankful for his recognition that it was wrong, and I think he understood that it was wrong. He didn't understand quite how he was get, how to release himself from his problem. <laughs> but at least he acknowledged that. So hopefully, hopefully that was just a step and that God would use other means and measures to get him all the way to where he needed to be so that he could be a newborn one in Christ and, and understand how that life cannot be carried on anymore. But anyway, these are the things that are given here. And so uh, Jew says, well, you already knew these things. I'm not telling you anything new. You know it. I'm reminding you. Now, you'll notice in 1 Peter in chapter 1, Peter says the same thing to the people. He said, I'm reminding you. This is a reminder. So you need not be offended thinking that I think you don't know. <laughs> I don't think you don't know. I know you know, but I still must remind you. That's an important thing. Sometimes we get a little bit of a, shall I say a little bit of an attitude sometimes if we think somebody is telling us something that they think we don't know. 
trying to inform us. That's not a good thing, but anyway. But Jude is not that way. He's not there. He's saying, I, I know you know, but I need to remind you. And Jude would include himself in those ones who need to be continually reminded. Now, Second Peter, and I want you to notice it here, Second Peter does something similar to this. But in Second Peter, Peter, he, he says, he talks about the angels, and he has the angels first. And then it talks about the angels world, Noah, coming out of Genesis 6. And then he talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. So what do we see here? And so Jude then, he, when he talks about what God did to bring that great deliverance, but just being a part of that physical deliverance from Egypt didn't mean that they were safe in the hands of God. <laughs> the angels, as high as they were and had been, they still were unsubject to God's authority. And Sodom and Gomorrah, in all of their wickedness, God says, I'm just going to bring judgment upon you. Now, Peter, let me just read through some of what Peter says here in Second Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. He says, for if God did not spare the angels who sin. So that's all he says there. He said, well, the angels who sin, but then he says, who, but cast them down to hell and deliver them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. So he asked a little bit of a different nuance than what Jude said there. He just said they sin, but that God cast them down. So I think it's clear to understand that they were in their proper domain. But then God had to cast them down, and now they're ready for judgment. He did not spread the ancient world, but he saved Noah, one out of eight, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood of the world on the ungodly. Remnant. There was a remnant of righteousness. God always preserves. And then Sodom and Gomorrah and making them an example to the ungodly. Now, I want to bring up another thing here about the angels. One of the things that you will find is that people have raised the question, but what about these, these angels? And does it have a connection to Genesis 6? And are the sons of God in Genesis 6 the same as these angels? Some people are persuaded of that. I'm not persuaded of that. Now, let me just quickly go here to consider in Genesis chapter 6. And just point out a couple, of, a few things here. Well, let's see. Genesis chapter 6. I think it would be quicker if I just look at it from my printed notes here. In verse 4 of Genesis 6, I think that's the right verse there. It says, Now it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth. Daughters of men were born to them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, 
and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And then God said, My spirit shall not always strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh. Yet, his days shall be 120 years. And then it says there were giants in the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came to enter the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Now, you may have noticed, I tried to put an emphasis on certain of those words, the word men a man. I tried to put an emphasis on those. I also tried to put a little bit of emphasis on the word flesh. Now, I know that sons of God is an expression that in some places is a reference to angels. I just happen to think this is not one of them. And I think there are many reasons for that. But let me just point out a couple of things here. I don't, I don't have the other notes that I had prepared, so I'll just give you a few things. But when, when so if these angels were the same as the ones who were referred to as Jude, and if, and by Jude and Peter, now I understand that Jude and Peter are talking about the same event. That's my understanding. But that Genesis 6 is talking about something different. Genesis, I mean, Peter says that those were cast down to hell and put in chains and preserved, are reserved for judgment. That doesn't sound like carousing with women on the earth. But also in Genesis, it talks about man and men, and that the progeny of this cohabitation were men. Now, God had told us something about procreation and how his order of procreation works. He created Adam. He created the animals. And they procreate. And that's how the earth is populated, with those animals. But Adam couldn't procreate. Why? He didn't have a spouse, a wife. So God created for him one who would be of his kind, as it were. And they procreated. How do we know that? Well, we know because we see one another here, and we're the progeny. But that was God's way of doing it. Now, if you have angels, whom God created as angels, which he did, procreating with these humans and producing a human, we need to find the Bible give us license to think that way. Because even with the, the trees and all these other things, all these things producing after their kind, even, a, a, even an apple tree is not going to give you a grape. Everything producing after its kind. So how are you going to get a cross of an angel and a human 
and you produce humans, and the judgment is, produced, is pronounced against the humans. The judgment that God says, I, these men have become so wicked. Not that this amalgamated race has become this, but these men. And for that reason, I'm going to bring this. And I'm going to save a man out from this. I have a righteous man. And so anyway, that's all I have. I, I'm well over the time. I better stop. But I'm going to stop right there. And we'll come back and we'll talk again. But anyway, so you, you see the way I understand it. Father in heaven, we thank you because you've given to us the privilege to have your word and to consider what it says. And we ask you through your spirit to help us to both to understand what it says and to understand what to do with it in our own lives. We pray in the name of Christ our Savior with thanksgiving. Amen.